Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground. The three spooked girls. Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I'm joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey, spooksters. Today, we are going to be talking about the unsolved case of Faith Hedgepith, and it is. It's a very interesting case, but it also made me very sad. But it's very it's it's an interesting case that I think a lot of police departments have stuff like this on their books. So I like telling stories about victims who are unsolved because it gets more publicity to this to their cases. And hopefully someone will know something. Mm hmm. But before we get into that content, let me tell you about where you can find us. We are on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our handles at 3 Spooked Girls. If you want to hang out with us and our Spookster community, you should definitely join our Facebook group. It's 3 Spooked Girls Official. It's like, it's more than just funny memes. There's a book club. There's post discussions, episode thread discussions. And it's just fun because a lot of times when things happen, we get to share them or other people get to share them in the group. And it's just a really great community. Also, Tara and I both have TikToks. Hers is amazing. If you're not following her TikTok, please go do so now. Like pause this video or pause the sounds. (laughs) Go do it. If you don't have TikTok, you should download TikTok only to follow Tara. I am Tara's biggest like stan. I'll just be honest. Like she (laughs) she's amazing content over there. Her name is spooky underscore sleuth. And mine, which hasn't been posted on in a while, is Spooky Aunt Jessie. But I will be starting a new a new series. I'm going to put it out here on the podcast because then I have to hold myself accountable and do it. It's going to be tips from your favorite <laughs> spooky aunt. And it's going to be everything from travel to like how to stay alive in a horror movie to like anything that I'm like, I have a tip for. I'm going to share <laughs> because I like life hacks. They're fun. They're fun. They are fun. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls. For as little as a dollar, you get an extra bonus episode a month. And they're always pretty fun. Like, I'm going to spoil the one that we did for June for people because I think they'd be like, what? Yeah. We did a really fun one. Every once in a while, Tara and I are like, let's not do a case or let's not do something. Let's just do something out of the box. And so we did a choose your own adventure. And guys, we've done this before on Patreon and I always kill us. (laughs) And this time, I did not kill us, so it was amazing. (laughs) But you get content like that, and then $5 and up patrons get video content, and then the perks just keep combining on the way up. Mm -hmm. We also have... 
for certain levels, there's you can get the ringtone, you can get wallpaper. There's a lot of fun stuff. Not actual like wallpaper, wallpaper, like digital <laughs> wallpaper. I wanted to clarify that. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. People are going to be like, how do I plaster my room in Three Spooked Girls? <laughs> if you figure that out, let us know. <laughs> but anyways, we're going to take a quick promo break and we will be back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Charlotte. And this is The Midnight Record. A true crime podcast that dives into all the things that keep you up at night. Join us every week for new episodes that will make you go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole at 3 a.m. We'll see you at midnight. Okay, welcome back from that promo break. We hope you enjoyed that show. We are going to be in the state of North Carolina for this one, particularly at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which are the Tar Hills. So I found for the drink of the week, it is a Tar Hill margarita. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And it's blue. So you know it has the blue curacao. Curacao. <laughs> if you are an old school patron, if you're an old school listener, you know that I used to have a whole lot of trouble saying that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how I would say it. But this one, if see if I had found this recipe the first time, it literally spells it out next to it. Oh, that's nice. But I would not have gotten the last one because it's S-A-O-W. I would not have seen that as Curacao. Curacao. Yeah. So with that... I'm going to hand it over to Tara, who's going to tell us the background and bring us up to basically right after the body is discovered. So Faith Hedgepeth was born on September 26, 1992 to Roland and Connie Hedgepeth. She grew up having a really close relationship with her mom. Faith also had an older sister and her name was or her name is Rolanda. And there was a big age gap with them. Rolanda was 18 when Faith was born and articles said that their relationship, Rolanda was like a second mother to her. So she was close with her sister as well. There's a big age gap. Yeah. I know. She's described as a good kid, very friendly, and was an academic. And Faith and her family were part of the Halawa Saponi Native American tribe. And according to the tribe's official website, this tribe is of the Northeast Piedmont region of the state of North Carolina. And the name Halawa derived from two countries of Halifax and Warren, which are the ancestral homelands of the Halawa people dating back to the early 18th century. And the tribe consists of just 4,000 citizens that live all over the U.S. and all over the globe. And most of the members are living there in North Carolina, more specifically Halifax and Warren counties with Hollister. And that is where the tribal center is. And Faith's heritage and all of this was extremely important to her and like a big part of her identity. She was super involved with that community. She did a lot of different activities and stuff. So it was just something she was really proud of and something she was really just, you know, a part of her everyday life. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, she was academic. She earned tons of scholarships for college and just mentioned the school she attended, UNC at Chapel Hill. She wanted to be a pediatrician. Her mother had said that Faith always loved kids and was always one to help out. She liked helping people. Her family was extremely proud of her because Faith would have been the first person in their family to graduate from college. 
Friends also described her as being peppy, quick to make friends, super nice, always putting others before herself, very outgoing. And also while in college, she did work. And at the time of her death, she was working at a Red Robin. So while attending school, Faith lived in an apartment complex right by the school, which is pretty normal. Most big colleges, there's, you know, apartments that college kids usually Mm -hmm. occupy. And at the time, she was roommates with her best friend, Karina Rosario. And the two girls were described as being inseparable, and they had a relationship more like sisters versus just best friends. Her family was very familiar with Karina. They called her Rosie. They also seemed to balance each other out. So, like I said, Faith was more outgoing and whatnot, and Karina was said to be more reserved, which worked for them, which I get and you get because that's like how we are. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, God. And I actually thought about this like in this scenario, these two, I'm the one that gets murdered. (laughs) Oh, no, I won't kill you. I promise. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, you know our theories too early. Anyway, so now that we got some background, we're going to dive into this timeline of the case. So this takes place on September 6, 2012, and that evening, Faith and Karina were attending a Rush event for a sorority called Alpha Pi Omega, and this organization tied back into Faith's heritage as well, and that's why she wanted to be a part of it. According to their official website, Alpha Pi Omega is the country's oldest Native American Greek letter organization was founded at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill on September 1st, 1994. And the sorority has more than 700 sisters representing more than 100 tribes nationwide and 20 chartered chapters. That's really cool. Right? I love it. And the girls would arrive to this event around 6 p.m. And then they wouldn't stay very long. They left at about 7, 7.30 because Faith had a paper to do that was on the history of her tribe. And I had heard after the fact, in one of the videos I was watching on her case, that she had previously taken a semester off of school. So now that she was back in it, she was trying to really make sure she got after it and everything. So, you know, this wasn't like a weird thing that she left the party. So they said, like some articles said they went home and then they went to the library. But long story short, they went to the library there on campus and they were there until 1130. Now, kind of like the semester thing, Some sources say that Faith left Karina there for a bit and met up with a guy for a little for a while and then went back and got her. But most sources said that they were there working on their papers and then left and went back to their apartment. But, you know, I always got to mention those contradicting things. So there you go. It's it's weird because I came across that, too, where like some sources were like she and Karina were there and until they left. And then it was like, oh, she met up with this guy. Mm-hmm. I thought it was weird because, like, I, too, had seen or read about the fact that she had, like, taken a gap semester and, like, that she was, se- like, being really serious. And I was like, someone who'd be really serious about this, like, wouldn't meet up with a guy, especially with what you're about to say, where they went after. Mm-hmm. Right. They could have just met up there. Right, right, right. And it was also – reason why I'm kind of, like, eh about it, too, is because, like, they don't ever – at least what I saw and heard, they didn't mention the dude's name. They're fine name-dropping everybody else, but this, they're just like, uh, a young male. I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> but anyways, so they left the library at 1130. They went back to their apartment, and shortly after this, they decided to go out to a club, and it was called Thrill. And this was an 18-plus club or possibly just an 18-plus night. One of the YouTube videos I watched, the creator, she actually 
live i don't know if she still does but when she, this was going on she lived there she was mm. she wasn't going to unc but she was going to a cosmetology school and she's like obviously like i partied and stuff she's like thrill was the only one that if you were underage you could go to like it wasn't a normal thing with the other clubs you know that kind of thing so i found that interesting so the girls got there and it is confirmed by security footage that timestamp was 12 40 a.m and while there, Karina would say that she ended up feeling sick to her stomach. She wasn't feeling well. So she asked Faith that they could leave and she wanted to go. So they did. And security footage does track this as well with the timestamp of 206-207 a.m. And when they got home, it said that Karina was sick and throwing up in the bathroom and Faith was helping her with like her hair and getting her all settled, blah, blah, blah. And after this, she says, because you have to think, like, we only have Karina's word for what. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking that. I was like, this is Karina's story of the night's events. Yeah, because, like, obviously, Faith's not here to tell us what happened. So we have literally one person to fucking go off of. So, ooh, problematic, to say the least. So after, you know, all of this, we do have phone record info. There was a text from Faith's phone at 3.40 a.m. to Karina's ex-boyfriend, Brandon, and it said, Hey, B, can you come over here, please? Karina needs you more than aha, which they put, they think it means than, you know. Please let her know you care. And via his phone, you can see he replies back the next morning and he's like, who is this? So to show like he didn't even have her number saved. So they were like, well, why does she have his number? And it's not the other way. Like, what? What's the deal with that? Whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, according to Karina's phone records, she called Brand. She called and texted Brandon like four times. No answer. No nothing. And then so after this. She moved on with life, I guess, and decided to text a guy named Jordan. And. This was said to be like a booty call type of situation. And Jordan came and got her at 4.30 a.m. And they left. Now, the big thing with this is, well, she didn't tell Faith, but whatever. If she thought if this really is what happened and Faith was asleep, I get that. Because, like, why the fuck are you going to wake her up and bug her? But she left the door unlocked. She could have left a note. Well, that's true. She could have left a note. She left the door unlocked. And now, obviously, first off, that's fucking dumb to do. But... Karina had this crazy ex-boyfriend named Eric, and he was said to be abusive. He would show up at their house. He would just, like, come in because, like, I read some stuff that said he lived there for a while or they all lived together, like, something. But anyway, he had access to the apartment. But shit got so bad, Faith convinced her to get a restraining order, which she did, and they changed the locks. So it's like, if you really got this sketchy-ass ex-boyfriend, you're not going to leave the door unlocked. But okay. Yeah, he lived in there. He lived in their apartment complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was like just a walk away. He was not very far. <laughs> no, which is kind of like, I don't know. That's super sketchy and dangerous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So flash forward to a few hours later, Karina ended up staying the night at the house she was at. And it's now 10 a.m. And she's trying to call Faith because they had a class a little bit later that morning and a paper was due and she left at the house and she needed it. No answer. So about an hour later, a friend of theirs named Marisol took her and gave her a ride to the apartment, which put them there, like I said, an hour later, so like 11, right? And they walk in, They or when they're walking in, they see Faith's cars there, so they're like, oh shit, maybe she overslept. And so they're like, you know, hey, Faith, are you here? Like, blah, blah, blah. No answer. So... 
They say they enter Faith's room, and this is where they find her deceased, and there's blood everywhere. And I have to give some context on what this crime scene looked like because it's a huge factor when it comes to the 911 call, which I'll get into in a sec. So, like I said, blood everywhere, right? Her murder was, like, very, very fucking brutal. So, Faith was naked from the waist down. She was in an oversized black t-shirt that was pulled up over her head and there was like a quilt kind of like partially on her. She had been beaten to death. Blunt force trauma would be the cause of death for her. Both of her eyes were purple from bruising. Her hair was matted down in her own blood and she had a like very large indentation in her forehead. And there would be a rum bottle covered in blood that the police would obviously be like, duh, that's a murder weapon, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the specials I was watching on this case had some of the responding officers in it. And he literally was like, this is the most brutal crime scene I have ever came across. So it's like, you know, that fucking says something because he's not like a newbie cop. Right. So, you know, ugh. and there's something else weird that Jess will tell you guys about at the crime scene in a little bit. But like I said, got to talk about this n- fucking 911 call. OK. And. <laughs> If you want to listen, it's eight minutes long, the clip, the longest clip I found. It's on Papa Paul's podcast website. It's on Murder Squad's website. It'll be on the sources page. It's like eight or nine minutes long. If you want to listen to the call yourself, I highly suggest you do. Mm -hmm. But I found this article from crimetraveler.org that was like the only one that had like a reliable like transcript, if you will, of the 911 call. Because I was like, at first when I was listening to it, I was like, try to write shit down. I was like, no, it's too much. (laughs) So then I found this. It's also like one of these things that it's like some articles would post it in, I would see like bits and pieces of it. And then it wasn't in Mm -hmm. like order in which they were talking because like some shit like they would talk. I'll let you get into it. But like they would talk about like a part that didn't make any sense. Yeah. The way they put it. And I was yeah, like, it was really hecked. It was well, because like, here's the thing, guys, like this call came out like way, way later. Like this happened in 2012. They released it in 2014 or 16. Yeah. 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like years later. But like because it's so far back now, like obviously we have access to it. So, yeah, I found this article, like I said, and it has it in order and stuff. So I'm just going to read through it. So operators obviously like Durham 911. What's your emergency? And Karina. We'll just say Karina because that's who it's supposed to be. She says, hi, um, I just walked into my apartment and my friend, she's like she's unconscious. Also, she's basically the same emotion that I'm reading it. So just so you know. And the operator's like, OK, what's your address? And she says, I live at Hawthorne at The View. And the operator's like, OK, like, give me the address. And she says, I just moved here. I might forget it. Oh, my God. Um, It's five, six, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to read the address in Durham. And operator's like, okay, you said your friend's unconscious. Karina says she's unconscious. You see that graphic fucking scene? You're going to think she's just unconscious? I'm sorry. Yeah. I, sorry. I'm going to react just... to this. <laughs> I don't know if you wanted me to react to this in live time <laughs> or afterwards, but I... Yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine in in real time. (laughs) Because, like, people start picking this apart later. Like, 2014, people, like, literally analyze every word she says. And to play the devil's advocate here, like, I think somewhat of it is, like, other than her tone. Because she does start getting a little bit, like, oh, my God, a little bit, like, shaky. And, you know, I think when she says, my friend is unconscious, it might be a subconscious 
like thing where she's trying to be like, my friend can't be because like, if I I honestly thought about this, like if I walked into a room and you were dead, I'd be like, no, she's not like there wouldn't be a I'd be like, she's just sleeping. Fix her. (laughs) You know, like, so I, I thought about that, like, Okay, that's fair. You know, she hasn't touched her at this point. And, you know, we've Mm -hmm. seen brutal crime scenes where, like, when we did the, what was it, the Kalamazoo spree killer, Mm -hmm. they thought that girl was dead. And then they, like, were like, holy shit, this 13-year-old is alive. This is true. This is true. That's my devil's advocate reaction. No, that's good. That's good. Okay, so Karina says she's unconscious. I just walked into the apartment and there looks like there's blood everywhere. I don't know what's happening. And operators like because now she's kind of trying like she's kind of freaking out at this point. So the operator's like, listen to me. Is she breathing? Karina says, I don't know. And then the operator says, "Okay, is she on her back or is she on her like laying on her stomach? And Karina says she's on her back. But like, I think she fell off the bed because like she's off the bed. Partially uh, there's blood all over the pillows in the comforter. I just don't know what happened. And the operator is trying to get her to listen. And Karina's like, is someone coming? Please hurry. I don't know what's going on. Like, there's stuff in my room that was not here before. Looks like someone came in here. And the operator's like, okay, okay. And then she repeats. She's Karina repeats and she says, it looks like someone has been in here, really does. And the operator says, I just, you know, like they're going back and forth. And she's like, I can't believe this, you know, things like that. And the operator's like, I just don't want you to be alone right now. I'm going to be on the phone. Now, something to note is, according to her story, Marisol's there, but like it's dead quiet. It's dead quiet. So that's, I don't know. That's just a little odd that people pick apart on that. I also thought of this, like, because she's in a big apartment complex. Maybe, mm-hmm. like, once they were, like, dispatched, maybe Marcel, Marcella, like, went outside to look for police to help. I try to think of, like, the other side of it. Right, exactly. I also, too, with this, I don't, I mean, I think people are reaching a little bit when they were, like, they're, like, why is she just saying my friend? And I'm, like, because if she tells the operator, oh, my God, Faith, da-da-da, like, she's not going to know who Faith that is. Was like, okay, like, when her mom came out and said <laughs> in, like, the documentary, like, Who Killed the Co-Edit or something like that, I think that's the name of it. Mm-hmm. Also on Discovery Plus. Yeah, they have all the things, dudes. Y'all got to check it out. Discovery Plus, please sponsor us. <laughs> we pick you out all the time. <laughs> but what I, what I was saying is, the mom said, it's weird, like, she didn't say Faith's name. And then this other, like, guy was like, yeah, she just said, she didn't say my roommate. If Karina has no knowledge that her friend died. And granted, we've talked about on the show, there's no right way to handle this kind of shit. No, but I, fe- but see, I feel like, too, even if she had said my roommate instead of my friend, they would have been like, oh, so now she's not your best friend. Like, you know what I mean? You're damned right. if you do or damned if you don't at that point. And they were friends. That is the proper, yeah. like... If someone were to be like, okay, who is this person to you? You would be like, they're my friend or my acquaintance. Mm-hmm. If they were just roommates, she would have been like, she's my roommate. Right. I mean, she didn't have to tell the operator, this is my best friend. She's like my sister. We live together. We're, you know, what good would that do? Right. She's just like saying my friend. And I've listened to a lot of, a lot of them and people like, okay, for instance, like a kid calling in mm-hmm. because their parents hurt. They don't go, my mom, Nancy, <laughs> Nancy's hurt. They go, my mom is hurt. Right. Because it's the category or the type of relation you are to the person. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Right, like you said, the operator, like, unless she was like, my friend, Faith Hedgepith, oh, social security number, blah, blah, blah. 
what is that going to do to that operator? Mm-hmm. There's nothing. It wouldn't exactly, help her anyway. Exactly. And police did get over there pretty quickly. I be- they were over there by like it was eight minutes. They were they responded very quickly. So obviously police get there, all of that stuff. And once they you know they find out who this victim is, they actually the police department calls Connie, her mom, Faith's mom's work, and it's so sad because they talk to her Connie's manager, and then. Her manager is like, hey, I got to talk to you. She's like, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but Faith is dead. And Connie is like, no, they got to be wrong. Like, obviously, like straightened, like how anybody would react, you know, Mm -hmm. she's like, no, not 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 Faith. You know, she's fine. She's alive, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then her manager's like, look, I you really need to talk to them. So she talks to them. They find out this horrific fucking thing. And then automatically her family jumps in the car and heads to her apartment. So they got like an hour and a half drive. So, yeah. It's very sad. Faith's mom reaction kind of reminds me of like Tara and I have a friend that we lost about a, like a 10, 10, 11 years ago mm-hmm. at this point. And she was really close with like all of my family. So like when I'm telling my family and I told my like biological mom about it, my mom was like, no, she's supposed to be at this thing this later this afternoon with me and Sandy. So no, she can't be. And I literally like I got real blunt because Tara knows me sometimes when I get too emotional, I just go straight to the I go really blunt. It's something <laughs> that rhymes with that. And I was just like, mom, just because like you had an appointment or something with my friend doesn't mean she didn't die this morning. Mm, yeah and my mom was like my mom's response was yes it does (laughs) and it was like yeah and so that was harder because that was like okay live in denial Uh, it's fine uh, yeah it's fine yeah but i get that like that moment where you're like no i'm not accepting this as reality Mm -hmm. like nope she's alive yeah so i can 100 percent understand that before we move on because I kind of have to say this. There is a big contradiction in what the investigators found versus what Karina said on the call. Mm-hmm. Karina says that her body has fallen off the bed. But when they go into like her room, she's laying at like towards like her head is at the foot of the bed and she's face down on her stomach with the comforter over her, like Tara says, and her black oversized t-shirt is pulled over her head and she's naked from the waist down. Mm -hmm. So that's not the same thing that Karina said to the operator. Now, this could be like in a moment, she's like panicking and she's just like disoriented. And so she just says what comes to mind. Like it's not what she's meaning to say, it's just what comes out. Mm -hmm. Or she sort of just was like made a conscious choice to lie to the operator. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing that wasn't in that article, but, like, the operator tells her, like, hey, can you, since you don't know she's breathing, can you touch her? Is mm-hmm. she warm oh, or yeah. is she cold? And Karina obviously was, like, apprehensive to do it, but she did it and she's cold. And then after that, that's when the operator was like, get the fuck out of there. Get out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. So. Which I, no, that's, I was going to bring that up, but that's, that's a great point mm-hmm. because, like, I don't know how... We've, we've done a lot of these cases where, like, people find someone, and I don't know how you don't, and again, we don't know how everyone grieves, so this could just be how she, like, handled it. But my first instinct would be to run up, see if the person was, you know, breathing, because if, if the person was breathing, you need to tell anyone, like, I need, like, EMS here right now, mm-hmm. she's breathing, she's got a 
fate pulse. They'll tell you like, oh, you should like let them tell you afterwards, like you shouldn't touch the body. Mm-hmm. But that is a big red flag for me. Yeah. That she didn't. Ru- this is someone like she lo- supposedly loves unconditionally. You're not going to care. You're going to run in. Mm-hmm. And I think as women, too, and I know people are going to be like, not all women, but like <laughs> we're maternal. And so there, there's a I mean, think about it like. Even people who don't have kids or don't want kids, if you see a kid fall around you, like there's part of you that like lunges to like catch Mm -hmm. the child because Mm -hmm. you're like, fuck, the kid is falling Mm -hmm. to protect the innocent. And like, I think that's what would happen. Not in this case. Yeah. And like just the other thing to to like also keep in mind, like, I don't know. I understand the denial thing. I get it. But the unconscious thing just bugs the fuck out of me because of how horrific this was. Because, you guys, it was so horrific. The cops were literally, when her parents and family got there, they were like, no, no, no. We're not going to let you go in there and see her like this because it is, it's too much. It's too, you know what I'm saying? So, like. That part killed me because her mom was like, (sighs) I just want to go in and hold her hand so she knows she's not alone. And I was like. I know. Not crying watching. Right. ID show, like. Sorry. No, I, I was like, it was so fucking heartbreaking. Yeah, it really, really was. Yeah. I mean, granted, I just want to bring like the other perspective to it. Oh, no, no, no. That's fine. I just, I just really want to ingrain in their brains like how bad this was. Right. So, like Tara said, the cops got there very fast. It was eight minutes, which is like, damn, that is fast. So, I was thinking that maybe someone was close by. And they got there shortly after 11. So, like 11, because, like, if you think about it, they'd walked in, they probably 11.02. So, we're talking like 11.15. Oh, no. It said that, yeah, it was literally a minute later. It said that the call started at 11.01. Right. So, we're looking at like, you know, 11.10 when the cops are starting to show up. So, it's very quickly. They go in and they start like, you know, obviously the girls, they like take them into a different room and they start like someone starts talking to them, but they go into Faith's bedroom and they start collecting things at the scene. One of the things they were able to find out is that she had been sexually assaulted. They could tell by like the damage or like, you know, the evidence of it, but they found semen not inside of her, but next to her. This is 2012, people. Like, we have DNA, like, we're able to figure out DNA. Like, whoever did that is dumb as fuck. I'm just gonna say that. They also found the bottle of rum, which was, I believe, a Bacardi peach, which I just thought was, like, such an intriguing thing, because I was, oh, yeah, Bacardi peach rum. I was like, that is such a young girl's drink. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds disgusting. (laughs) Right. And they took it from, like, the kitchen. Like, so Mm -hmm. it was the girl's bottle. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't something like someone brought to the scene. And so they started looking through all of the DNA evidence. Obviously, the semen was consistent with male DNA. And like Tara said, is that she was brutally beaten. Like the blunt force trauma, like they could determine that without really an autopsy. Yeah, yeah. the indentation in her head. Oh, my God. From the bottle. Mm-hmm. And so they basically were like, we think this is the murder weapon. So... One of the things that the Chapel Hill Police Department decided not to do was release pretty much anything other than the fact that she was murdered and the cause of death was blunt force trauma. Like, that was it. Like, they didn't tell people shit, which I think is great because then it traps people. So when they start bringing people in, if, like, someone they brought in was like, oh, yeah, like, I knew her. We used to get together and we would drink, like, peach rum. They'd be like, why would you say peach rum? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know how, like, sometimes killers like to flaunt that they know things? Mm Mm-hmm. It was so brutal, so, so brutal. 
Her autopsy report would be released in September of 2014. There's a big thing that happens in September of 2014. I'll tell you guys about that in a little bit. But one of the big pieces of key evidence that comes out during this time is that there is a white takeout fast foodie type bag that like you get sandwiches in or something. I don't think it was like labeled. I I think it was just plain. No. So was it is time out a fast food restaurant? Yes, I was going to say okay. that same video that about where the girl talked about the club, she said it was like like a fast food place that stayed open hella late. So like after you went to the club and stuff, like you could go grab ah. food and go home. I just thought it was a, a like a typo. <laughs> so oh, no, no, no. Time out instead of takeout. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's what it's called. Yeah. And it'd be open till like super late, like three, four, whatever a.m. Got it. It was on the bed when the police found the evidence and it had a handwritten note on it that says, I'm not stupid, bitch. And then the word jealous. So this kind of started investigators thinking like maybe this is there's a woman involved because jealous is something like, you know, you'd be saying to like another girl, are you jealous that I'm dating him? Or are you jealous mm-hmm. I'm with this person? You know, and they were like, that's kind of the, the language. Here's the weird fucking part about this bag. When they describe how horrific this crime scene is, they say there is there's only one piece of evidence that doesn't have any blood on it. In the whole room, there's not like one surface that has I'm not saying like the whole room is like blood red, but like every single part of the room had blood mm-hmm. splatter. Yeah. This fucking bag had no blood on it, meaning it was placed on the bed strategically mm-hmm. where it would not get blood on it. Yep. Yeah. Which is weird. So weird. They also, on her, they found that she had cuts and bruises on her arms and legs and blood under her fingernails. So, like, she was putting up a fight. They not only found her tissue on the bottle, but they found other, like, tissue-like evidence. So, yeah. I'm just, like, I was so intrigued by this bag. Mm-hmm. Right. And they found it, like, in the middle of it. They were like, what the fuck is this? hmm So the Chapel Hill Police Department... We're like, okay, we got to get on this right now. We got, there's a lot of people who had access. I mean, the, her apartment complex was kind of big. Mm-hmm. So it, it's an apart, it's a college apartment complex. And those typically tend to be huge. Mm-hmm. So they started, according to the search warrants that came out in 2014, they interviewed thousands of people. Yeah, it was a lot. But the first search warrant that they issued would be more connected to Karina than actually faith so the first one we mentioned earlier is eric the guy who was abusive to karina who faith was like hey you should get a restraining order it was reported that he saw her as a a barrier i think the word was used a barrier for their relationship which i was like that's super fucked up Mm -hmm. so i think eric definitely had a vendetta against faith But here's the weird fucking thing. Because he lives in the complex, he was one of the first people to show up at the crime scene. This gives me Lauren Giddings vibes all over. Yes, I told like this whole thing. Like I was waiting like when this was happening for them to be like, they found the body and he'd be like, what? (laughs) But this is different because they had found the body first. Mm -hmm. So acknowledging the fact that Eric hated Faith. Publicly, people knew that he fucking hated her. Yeah. Because he was, he's one of those guys who like tries to manipulate and control his woman and which is not okay. Mm-mm. Don't nope. do that. Bad people. Don't do it to a guy or girl. Don't do it. It's bad. So it was weird that the very first person to speak 
to the media about Faith dying was Eric. And he was saying nice things like she was the sweetest person he's ever known. Everyone loved her. Whoever did this to her deserves to burn. And I'm just like, sir, two months ago, you broke down their door and screamed at her and threatened her ass. And now you on TV telling people how much you love her and she's amazing and she will be missed. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. That's bad, Juju. He also started doing weird things, like posting weird shit online. In fact, three days after, okay, there's a debate on when he did this. Like some sources say he did it three days after. Some say he did it the day of. Some say it's the day after, like this. But anyway, regardless of timeline, this is what he fucking posted as his cover photo on, which I was like, did in 2012, did we have cover photos? I don't think so. So I just think it was like a post on his Facebook. And it said, Dear Lord, forgive me for all my sins and the sins I may commit today. Protect me from the girls who don't deserve me and the ones who wish me dead today. I was like, dude, you are a suspect in a murder investigation. Right? You shouldn't be posting that kind of shit online. People definitely interpreted this as a sign of guilt. And of course, because of the relationship between him and Karina, his actual real relationship with Faith, he was suspect numero uno to be brought in. Like, well, not really to be brought in, but he was like the big honcho of suspects. And they brought him in and they questioned him. And I don't know, like some reports say they questioned him why he was like on probate, like in jail for violating a probation or something like that. But either way, he gave his DNA willingly. He didn't fight it. He didn't make a court, get like a court order. And It was tested against the DNA found at the scene, which was like this weird little pile of like, I'm sorry, like it's a weird little pile of semen next to the body. Mm -hmm. Almost like, here's the thing, I have conspiracy on this, almost like it was fucking planted. Hmm. Because like, why would you leave that behind? You're right. You're right. It's weird. I mean, unless she had some sort of like affair right before she was murdered and then just hadn't cleaned up yet. I, I doubt that. Yeah, I doubt it. In 2016... Because I'm, I'm going to just, I'm not going chronological because some people you can't. So in 2016, Crime Watch Daily contacted Eric for an interview. And he said, honestly, I don't want nothing to do with that. I don't need that kind of attention while I'm in grad school. My lawyer doesn't think it's a good idea and, and wants your contact information. So, you know, I love True Crime Daily. They're, they'll expose anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, this guy is not cooperating. So at this point, Eric is ruled out as a suspect. And then they get, like Tara talked to earlier, they get the, the cell phone records. And that's when they see Brandon Edwards, who we talked about as being like a Karina's other ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And from what I could tell, it wasn't like a serious relationship. It wasn't like we boyfriend, girlfriend, but... I just think people have to label people. So they're like, ex-boyfriend. Basically, it was a casual sexual relationship. And Tara said, while she was sick, Faith was texting Brandon to come over to take care of her. And the fact that he texts back, who is this? Mm -hmm. Tara said something earlier that kind of like triggered me. I was like, no, because like Tara had my husband's number, but my husband didn't have Tara's number. But Tara has my husband's number in case Tara and I are together and something (laughs) crazy happens. Mm -hmm. She could call my husband. Which kind of happened in the reverse because eventually, like, because at my wedding, we had to, like, call him because I left <laughs> left my phone with him, I, I think. 
I didn't have my phone for like an hour and a half between like my wedding rehearsal and my reception. But anyway, like Tara, last time we were together last February, Tara like and I were driving around in my car and my husband called her because I wasn't picking up my phone and he was having an emergency. (laughs) And I was like, I have to take her to the airport. So chill, please. Just chill. Yeah. Uh, Just so that people aren't freaking out. He gets seasonal bronchitis for like ever. And he coughed so hard that he ruptured a blood vessel in his throat. Yeah. He didn't have COVID that we know of. But anyway. Okay. So back to this. So Brandon actually was a suspect. He actually had his car searched, everything like that. His D- And he gave his DNA sample willingly and was excluded. And then the other person who received, there was a second text message that was sent. And that was to Faith's ex-boyfriend, Ty McNeil. Ty was older than her and... I don't know. Like some people say he was like one of her friends is like he was Mm -hmm. kind of the jealous type or like the kind that would be like if she didn't answer his calls, he would show up where she was to see what was going on. And in a way, looking back, (laughs) I was like, maybe if they had been together and she hadn't answered, Mm. he may have stopped something. But according to Ty, because Ty, he came down like the, it was like the next day or like the two days after. And her parents were at the police station when he came in and they were like they were hugging and he was telling him them how sorry he was for what happened to her and just like trying to console them. And then he brings up the whole text message thing, why he's there. And he shows it to Ronald, her father. And he looks at that. And goes, wait, there's this punctuation error. Mm -hmm. And this is twice now that we have like a misspelling in one. And now there's a punctuation error in this one. And it was something like Mm -hmm. the word like your, but it's like you are. And she wrote it Y-O-U-R-E. It should have been like Y-O-U apostrophe R. R -E." Or like, I can't remember the context. It could even be the wrong your. I couldn't remember. I can't remember at the moment. No, it was the apostrophe thing. Yeah. So that was kind of concerning. And Ty fully cooperated with the police. Like, Mm -hmm. he was like, whatever I can do. I remember when they said, like, he was like, I think he may have suggested, like, you can take my DNA. (laughs) That kind of stuff. Like, he was really participating. And he was excluded from the suspect list. And they basically think that she's not the one who sent that text message to him anyway. And he had said, like, we really haven't talked in a while. Like, she and I weren't talking. This text message about us getting back together seems really weird. Mm -hmm. At this point... The case kind of goes cold because they don't have any more like legit suspects. They don't, you know, they're still like interviewing people, people who live in the live in the complex. If you want to look at all, I'm not going to list all the suspects they have because a lot of them were like, oh, this person had a class with her or this person was seen in the parking lot. And like they did 2000 interviews with people and they tested over 100 people against the DNA found. Mm hmm. But like I mentioned earlier, the investigators decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to shake it up because we're not getting anywhere. So what they did is that's when they released on the second anniversary of her death, they released everything from the audio transcript from the 911 call, the text messages from Faith's phone, the autopsy report, police sketches, things of that nature. And they were like, here's what we know. If you can corroborate this evidence, please do. If you know more than we know, because mind you, before then, people might not have been coming forward because it was like they weren't saying anything. So they might be like, well, why would I call the police and tell them something they already know? Mm -hmm. So they're like, if you know anything, let us know. And this is the first time the paper bag is also made public, which kind of fucked everyone up. And 
like letting this thing opened up led to a handwriting analysis. And they were trying to figure out, like, when they looked at it, the handwriting expert, he said it looked more feminine. Mm-hmm. And it does. It looks like big letter feminine writing. But I can also say I've seen lots of men have more, like, I don't want to say feminine because that seems weird. But, like, I have no other word to say because this is the only way they describe it is, like, feminine. Mm-hmm. And it was large and it was written across the back. So the handwriting expert then took some known samples from Karina and they looked at the E because it was, they both had capital E's and the E on the bag was done in two strokes. So like basically a C and then a line through it. The E on her paperwork for her restraining order had a three stroke. So it was like a line across the top, an L, and then a line through the middle. Mm -hmm. And then I start like, my brain was like, what if that's not even her handwriting? Mm -hmm. What if it's Faith's handwriting? (gasps) Because, you know, she was pushing her to get the restraining order. Maybe she's like, I'll help you fill it out. Oh, shit. Yeah. I thought about Mm -hmm. that. Chapel Hill Police, you should get like a new handwriting sample from Karina, just saying, if you're listening, (laughs) which would be amazing. So it doesn't match. They're like, okay, we can't use this against Karina. At this point, there's also something else that's been in the evidence. A friend of Faith's woke up the next morning to a butt dial, which she thought like it was pretty crazy, sounded really weird. And then she like, I guess Faith was one of those people who like never locked her phone. And this is back in the day when butt dialing could actually be really a thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know how people butt dial today. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Like the on the very rare occasion I actually do it, I'm like, how did this happen? <laughs> like when I turn my phone away from me, basically it shuts off. My phone would be like, oh, I'm in a dark pocket. Okay, I can sleep. <laughs> but she deleted it. And then she realized this could be a piece of evidence. So what she did is she went back and she called her provider and her provider was like, okay, they walked her through and they got it back for her. So she turns it in and the police listen to it. And then they look at the timestamp and the timestamp says 1.23 a.m. And it was like three minutes long. And it was like there were Faith was in it and a guy was in it and then they're blaring music. So, you know, the police at first were like, nah, but, you know, they're also having issues with it. So in 2016, they basically were like, we need to look at this accidental pocket dial again. And they start doing that and they get this guy by the name of Arlo West. And he is basically like a forensic sound engineer, which he does amazing things. And he pulled out all of like, and it's not, and here's the thing. It's not like a crystal clear video or a sound piece. It's not like you're going to hear someone go, I'm killing Faith right now. Like, it's not that. It's very jarbled still. He did the best he could. Arlo West, he like starts taking apart this audio, trying to pull like all the noise out, all that kind of stuff. So he's doing that. And then he kind of gets it down to this point in the tape where you can, there's still like noise in the background because Tara can attest to this. If you're talking and you're, (laughs) and it's on the same track and the noise is on the same track, it's kind of hard to pull out the background noise. Mm -hmm. So he gets what he thinks are these like snippets of these voices and they can kind of determine that they say, I'm going to kick you in your face. Don't be a, and they believe the word is weakling. Or I thought maybe it was an explicit when I was watching the show. I thought it was more like an explicit sound mm-hmm. or word. But don't be a weakling. Put up a fight. And then the tape goes on and a male voice says, I think she's dying. And a, a female voice says, do it anyway. They also hear the name Eric and the name Rosie in the video, which, as Tara mentioned earlier, they call Karina, whose last name is Rosario. They call her Rosie. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the only problem with this is that the timestamp is 1.23 a.m., which would put them smack dad in the middle of the club, which is what they thought they were hearing the whole time. But they started looking into it, and they realized that the software that documents when the cell phone receives it, the problem was is like the two girls, the friend and then Faith's phone never linked up. So like if I called Tara and left a message, it would it would give like a weird time. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't match like the call or whatever. So when they found this out, they were like, maybe this is a huge possibility that this call is actually a butt dial from when the murder was happening. Right. Mm-hmm. So now they've turned it in as that kind of an evidence. And yeah, so they looked into it. Also in 2016, 2016 was a big year for this case, Mm -hmm. though that this case is still unsolved. But they did this thing because there's this new technology that can give you like a snapshot of someone's DNA, like what they look like. So they could take blood from me, put it in to this program, which is called Snapshot, and it would create my basic features. So what my eye color would be, what my skin tone would be, hair color, that kind of stuff. If I had freckling, if I had any kind of face morphology and my ancestry, like what are my genetics? So Ellen Graytech, who's the director of the bioinformatics at the Paraben Nano Labs, is in charge of this. And she said that the DNA that was found, so the semen that was found at the scene, they're very confident that this person is not a white person that the person is not a person of African descent and that this person is very strongly to either be Native American and European mixed ancestry or Latino. So they have a composite and they basically get the general features. Now, they want you to know, there, I saw in one article, regardless of how good this is, it can't really tell you like a ton other than those basic things and they can't tell you someone's weight. So they have a general idea of what they look like. If the person was way overweight, this might change. Right. Like being mm-hmm. able to identify them. Or if they were underweight, they could look emaciated, which would also, you know. This is basically done at a body mass index of 22, which they say is average. So they get the composite out there. They've gotten some leads. It hasn't really gone anywhere. I looked up the last article I could find was from like May of this year, and they were talking about the composite and how this is really great technology, and they're hoping that they'll be able to catch this guy. There's also been on September 23rd of 2016, they did a 2020 episode on Faith. So this story is getting out there. At this point, over 2,000 people have been interviewed, and over 100 people have had DNA testing, which is pretty crazy because DNA testing is a big deal. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, it's expensive shit, but well worth it. Anyway... If you have, if you know this case and you have information on this case and you want to help out, you can contact the Chapel Hill Police's tip line, which is dedicated to Faith Hedgepeth. And that number is area code 919-968-2834. So if you know anything, say something. It's cool to give information to the police about someone who is deceased so that they can, the family needs to know. Her family seems so sweet. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, like, they seem like this cute little family unit. So before we leave, let's talk about our cons- our theories of who done it. Okay. I have to say this because, like, if we're going to talk about theories, there's this is could be a case of someone watching the apartment, saw Karina not lock the door, 
and know that there's another girl in there and take advantage of this. That's a possibility. It's a college apartment complex. People mm-hmm. people watch people. I watch people all the time. So that could be one. Another thought is that it could be multiple people. I also mentioned earlier, I thought maybe the DNA could have been planted to throw off the case. I mean, at this point in 2012, we know people are going to like run that DNA. There is <laughs> the theory that Tara probably is going to agree with most is that something had happened. Okay, because there's one thing I have to say. Faith and Karina, though they were besties and loved each other, living together wasn't working out for them. I think probably Faith felt really, like, not safe. Faith and Karina were not doing so well as roommates. Faith had approached another one of their friends, actually the friend that she had butt dialed, and said, hey, do you think we could live together? I just need to wait until, like, my financial aid comes in, and then I would love to live with you because I can't live with Karina anymore. This could have been a point of contention. It also could have been a point of contention where if Karina was really just going out for a booty call at 425 in the morning, she might not be making the best decisions. So maybe she talked about it with Eric and was like, hey, you know, she's leaving me. Like she made me give up you. Like we don't know. We don't know what happened. And then those two plus another person decided to teach Faith a lesson for like betrayal. And then it just went too far. Or what do you think? I feel with this voicemail thing, the cops just really dropped the ball because they were like, nope, timestamp, that's Bible. Like, just leave it alone. They were at the club. No, I feel like that was of her being attacked. I truly do. Mm -hmm. So Karina and fucking Eric and whoever else, like, I feel like something happened and... Basically, they're playing dumb. I do really find it interesting about the planting thing, which I'm like, I don't know if I really subscribe to that. But at the same time, it's like if they he's fucking crazy, obviously. But like if they were planning this, you know what I mean? But I'm like, what? Like, how would they get that, though? That's my question. I'm like, what? You ask them like you. First of all, are you a creep and you take some used condom or two? You get someone and fucking get their shit from them. Like, ew. just saying (laughs) i don't know like one of one of the big questions no one of the big questions i have is like who is eric's roommate like what if eric had a latino roommate and then just like dipped into the trash can and was like right that's what i'm saying because we also don't know because there's no security cameras really Mm -hmm. if they came and went from the apartment right like they could have been like shit like we did this like like we killed her And now we have to kind of, like, help ourselves out and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, they could have also just college kids are gross. Like, people throw Mm -hmm. condoms on the ground all the time. Like That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, like, I, yeah, I feel there is omission there for sure. And, like, I get, like, I don't know. I feel like putting myself in Karina's shoes, if it was you that ended up dead, like, I just find it kind of interesting she's never done any kind of interviews. She said that I did see that she kind of like had a breakdown afterwards and just kind of like only was talking to the police and not anyone else. Right. I get get that at first, but like that ID one you mentioned is a lot Mm -hmm. more recent. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know, because that can go either way. And, you know, like we've said, like, we don't know how we would react in that situation. Hopefully never have to know. Right. 
But you know what I mean. So I just, I don't know. I just don't get a good feeling about this. And someone, multiple people obviously, know more than they're saying. Oh, a thousand percent. So, yeah. I just like, yeah, I get bad vibes off this whole case, like you said, because it's like so, (sighs) it just seems so random. And like, here's the thing. I'm sure they talked to Jordan. I'm sure they collaborated or cooperated her story. So if they get home, like if they leave at like 206, 207, and they get home and she doesn't leave until 425, that's, I'm assuming it didn't take them very long to get home. That's still like two at, let's say it took them 15, 20 minutes to get home. Like we're talking like 230. That's almost two hours that they have. And we know that like crime's going to happen like pretty fucking quickly. And Mm -hmm. her leaving and going to this other guy's house makes total sense in the fact that she would have an alibi. I wasn't home. And then it goes back to the 911 case where she says, and I just walked into my apartment, which I also kind of was like, well, if you were describing what you found, like you would, or how you found it, you'd be like, I just walked in. And they're like, what did you say? Yeah, I just walked. I mean, that makes sense. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. her tone was different. Her like description of the scene, like, you know, mm-hmm. I i mean, me knowing me, I'd be like, there is blood everywhere. She is covered in it. She's basically naked. I like, you know, rushed in to see like she had a pulse. Like that's the first thing you check for to see if she's breathing and have a pulse. And yes, the unconscious word is weird. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. There's just there's just a lot of stuff. And I've tried to look at it from all angles. And, you know, it they did describe her as a kind of like not bubbly personality they described her as kind of like shy and introverted and i know you're introverted but like you also have some extroverted energy there and maybe like that's just how she reacted but the fact that this voicemail says rosie they get i think she's dying and just do it anyway Mm -hmm. there's a lot of shit in that to unpack and it's like did she want to teach her a lesson and she set up her to be sexually assaulted and then that went wrong because maybe Faith fought the fuck back real hard. And then they, you hear in the tape, I want to kick you in the face. Don't be a weakling. I mean, it's just it's a lot of shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and that was a female voice, by the way, just pointing that out. Yeah. So this case is a lot. It takes a lot to unpack it. I hope you guys like learned or heard this kind of stuff. And if you know anything, like I said, I mentioned that that hotline earlier. Mm-hmm. Again, the number is 919-968-2834. Please call if you have any information and help out this police department. With that, we're going to wrap up today's episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.